you're listening to Central Time here on the Ideas Network. I'm Rob Ferrett. Coming up today at 6 on 1A+, Jen White talks to Jeff Tweedy from the band Wilco. His new project chronicles many of his past anxieties and present-day pressures as a much-loved dad rocker. That's today at 6 on 1A+. Now there's a good chance that you have a first name. I do. And there's also a good chance that there's a personal story about where that name came from. That's at the individual level, but big picture, there are trends that put some names at the top of the charts and lead others into obscurity, and in some cases, bring them back again. Our next guest has been watching those trends and studying names past and present for years now, and we're going to check in on some of the latest news in names. And you can join in at 800-642-1234. Is there a story behind your name? Did you have the same name as lots of people in your circles, or did you have a really different name that stood out? Either way, what were the ups and downs of that? Have you noticed trends in the names you're seeing these days? Call 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or post on the Ideas Network Facebook page. Laura Wattenberg is the founder of Namerology.com, author of the Baby Name Wizard books and the original creator of BabyNameWizard.com. Laura, thanks a lot for joining us today. Hi, Rob. Happy to be here. Well, you let me know earlier that we may be on the verge of a big change in the world of names. What did you mean by that? I think we're really at a a turning point for a kind of third era of American naming. Traditionally, up through the 1960s and really going back centuries in England, the same core of names dominated, the John and Mary and James and Elizabeth. It was a very conservative naming culture focused on fitting in. Then for the last half century or so, we've been in a style-driven age where parents are trying to be fashion forward and the sound of names has dominated. But I'm starting to see now that we're moving away from an era where an entire sound like Kristen and Christy or Aiden, Jaden, Braden, and Caden can sweep across the country. Instead, we're seeing a kind of fracturing as everyone is looking to be truly unique. Interesting. And I know you watch for those unique names starting to emerge in the latest data. I think we're waiting a couple months now for the latest Social Security Administration data. But what are some of the some of those unique names that really seem to stand out to you in in the modern naming trends? One of the things we're seeing now is parents being much more open to turning word names and words and places into names. We've seen that in the past with names like London or Paris but now it might be Cairo or Everest. And in terms of words, parents of boys in particular are getting remarkably aggressive. We're seeing boys named Rage and Riot and even Chaos and Mayhem. That parents are seem to be presenting a whole different image of what it means to be a boy in America. Do we see uh, uh, little trends like that pop over over time and then, and then disappear quickly? Or is it likely that these, these things that are emerging are going to be here to stay? Individual names definitely come and go, but when you see a bunch of names together moving in a direction, that usually tells you something about our society. I like to think of name trends as a kind of fossil record of culture because parents take these decisions very seriously. It really reflects how they see themselves and what they dream of for their children. Looking at the most recent available data, we've got uh, for boys, I think the Liam, Noah, and William in the top three, Emma, Olivia, and Ava. What leads names to kind of stick and go to the top of the charts and and stay there for a while in some cases? 
I think the top of the charts are a little bit of an illusion because only traditional names can ever rise to the top of the charts. If you think about it, every parent who's trying to be unique is sort of hidden statistically. So what we see is the points that we agree on. In terms of Emma and Noah and Liam, you see that the sound people agree on today is very smooth, really dominated by vowels. It's a big change from the era of Herman and Gertrude. Now, when I was in the kid naming business uh, with twins, uh, we chose names that were that felt kind of unique, not way out there, but kind of unique. And then, of course, as our kids grew up, we kept seeing kids with the same or very similar names to it. How common is that for people like me to be like, yes, we've got these unique names that everybody else uniquely named their kids at the same time? It really is disconcerting because our taste feels so personal and individual. And we might feel like, oh, I just happen to be the kind of person who prefers unusual names. And I just happen to think that Olivia sounds attractive. And then you look around and it turns out that your tastes really are shaped by your community and your generation. And you and your friends probably have very similar tastes. Talking to Laura Wattenberg, founder of Namerology.com, longtime student of what we name our kids. And now we want to hear from you at 800-642-1234. Where did your name come from? What did your parents tell you about uh, why they named you that? Were you happy with that decision? Did you feel stuck with it? And how about uh, if you're questing for a name or recently named a kid yourself, where did you go for inspiration? If you're at a place where you see lots of kids, a teacher maybe, what trends are you seeing in your own classroom? Call 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Laura, I mentioned to you earlier my name, Rob. I came from my parents watching the old Dick Van Dyke show. They like the sound of Rob. Is it common for pop culture to be a source of inspiration for names? I know you've written about uh, Harry Potter and Game of Thrones, for example. Oh, absolutely. Parents take names from wherever they find them. But there's a difference from the era of the Dick Van Dyke show. You know, as, as a Laura, I also have a, a <laughs> name from, from the, the Petri family. But once upon a time, if parents were naming after Shirley Temple, they would say so. Oh, we chose Shirley after Shirley Temple. She's so adorable. Today, parents are less willing to say they're naming after someone. It's just that they're looking around for inspiration for any fresh ideas wherever that you can, they can find them. And a great example of that is that one of the biggest forces in baby naming in terms of celebrity has been the TV show Teen Mom that follows pregnant, unmarried teenagers. Those, the names from that show, like Macy and Bentley, went through the roof, even though parents weren't presumably aspiring for their children to take that kind of path. It's just where they find the names. And is it the case that, you know, we see something in pop culture and, and just like the sound of it, whether, I mean, the kids in, say, a Game of Thrones, they go through some pretty rough stuff, but the, the name sounds cool, so that's okay. Absolutely. A Khaleesi, the, which was actually a title rather right. than a name in Game of Thrones, was one of the biggest unlikely baby name hits. And it, it spawned all sorts of different spellings and spinoffs. Essentially, parents will pick up on a name if they are ready for it. It doesn't matter how famous you are. Madonna never inspired a baby name trend. But a much smaller celebrity or a smaller character who has the right name will hit parents where they're ready. Let's bring on a caller at 800-642-1234. Lee is with us in Ruley. Lee, hi. How's it going, Rob? Uh, so we have two daughters. They're both in their 20s. 
our first daughter's name is Hero, like H-E-R-O, which uh, I think it was in a William Shakespeare play, like Much to Do About Nothing. And then our, I know our youngest daughter is Hazel, and I know there's some Hazels out there, but she is 21, so I think we were ahead of the curve there. Interesting, Lee. Thanks a lot for that. She said, hero in part from a Shakespeare character. Do we often go to uh, Shakespeare, Laura, for our, our naming inspiration? Shakespeare has been a huge influence on naming. Um, for instance, the name Miranda is just one of many that were actually created by Shakespeare. And as for the name Hazel, that is very much on trend at very cutting edge in Wisconsin. Names like Hazel and Eleanor and Theodore, a kind of gentle throwback name is very much a Wisconsin style today. Thanks a lot for sharing that, Lee. Yeah, I always wonder about that, Laura. What determines when a name gets recycled or churns back up? One that for a while we think is old fashioned uh, and all of a sudden it's cool again. I think it takes a certain number of generations that our own names seem ordinary. Our parents' names seem boring, boring. Our grandparents sound old. But then once you get back to about your great grandparents' generation, <laughs> we're ready to recycle those. Those names sound fresh again. Let's go back to our callers. Rebecca is with us in Newton. Rebecca, hi. Yes, hi. I just wanted to share my son's name. I haven't heard anyone else with this name, but um, it's a last name. So my son is named Killian. And I found out it's actually a really common name in Europe and especially in Ireland. Right. It's an Irish name. I didn't name him that because we're Irish or he is or anything. I just found I really loved the name when I was pregnant. My husband and I couldn't agree on anything, and I saw it on TV, and I thought, oh, I love that name. Now, wait, where did, the name, where did you see the name Where did you see the name Killian? Was it a character's first was, name, or was it the beer? No, it was the first name, and I was watching a really bad reality TV show, and somebody's <laughs> kid was named that. <laughs> there it is again. Rebecca, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> a bad reality TV show, Laura, but she liked the sound of the Irish name Killian. Absolutely. The worst TV show can have the best names. And that uh, that sound, that Irish sound, even if we don't realize it is that, is very fashionable. America loves Irish names to the point that more Americans identify as Irish American than there are people in Ireland. It's just a style we like. Rebecca, thanks a lot for sharing that. We're talking to Laura Wattenberg, founder of Namerology.com. Look at the latest trends in names, what drives changes over time, and the names we choose for newborns. And you can join in at 800-642-1234. Have you noticed names that rise and fall over time? Is your first name disappearing among new generations? Not seeing a lot of baby Roberts out there, I'll tell you that. Call in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. We'll continue the conversation coming up on Central Time. It's Central Time. I'm Rob Ferret. We're naming names right now with baby name expert Laura Wattenberg. You can follow her work on the history of names and the latest trends at Namerology.com. It's like numerology but put in an A instead of the U. You could join in at 800-642-1234 with your thoughts, the story behind your name, your quest to find a name for a kid, what decision you ended up making, where you looked for inspiration, and what you're noticing when it comes to people's names these days. Call 800-642-1234. Back to your calls with Duke in North Prairie. Duke, hi. Hi. Um Yes, so my my name being Duke, uh, my my dad, um, I'm 66 now. My dad had an uncle that was nicknamed Duke, and as 
at that time, people didn't really name their children strange or unusual names, but my dad had that idea. He wanted me to, my name to stick out. And all my life, I've basically had to explain my name to people and, and explain that it's not a nickname. Oh. They assume that it is. And I've met very few, uh, um, maybe one or two in my whole lifetime, another person whose name was Duke as well. Interesting. Duke, thanks a lot for sharing that. Laura, a, a, a nickname uh, from a family member turns into a name name. Absolutely. And I have good news for Duke. Back in the day, it's true, Duke was a nickname. So Duke Ellington, Duke Snyder, that wasn't their given name. Mm -hmm. But today, Duke is suddenly taking off as a baby name. Not only is becoming more common, but he's going to sound very youthful for the rest of his life. Excellent. Duke, thanks a lot for sharing that. Now, speaking of nicknames, Laura, you had a piece uh, recently looking at, you know, shorter nicknames for boys, you know, diminutives of their full name, many of them fading, except uh, Cal, Mac, Kit, and Wes. They're booming. What's going on with our nicknames for boys? It's interesting. We've mostly done away with nicknames in this country. In England, for instance, uh, cute nicknames like Billy or Ollie are really popular for boys. But in the United States, we've gone formal, unless parents can come up with a nickname that wasn't so common in previous generations, like Duke, for instance, or, or Ace, or a nickname like Cal that was familiar, but not very common. We're looking for freshness. That means no to Mike and Dave, but yes to Cal and Wes. Interesting. Uh, let's go back to our callers now. Tom is with us in Madison. Tom, hi. Hi, thanks very much. You were talking about Killian. The Killian that came to my uh, attention is Killian Murphy from the TV show Peaky Blinders. Sure. Except he spells it with a C. And when my dad was growing up, I grew up with his stories, of course, and he had two really, really close friends, and the three of them were Thaddeus, Rupert, and Alphonse. And I just thought that was a wonderful combination of names. Thaddeus, Rupert, and Alphonse. I would go see that vaudeville show, Laura. Are any of those names uh, making a comeback, though? That is a remarkable trio. We're seeing some um, interest in Thaddeus as a, a biblical name. But the name Rupert, interestingly, we think of it as the ultimate English name, like Rupert, Neville, Nigel, those names are all completely out of fashion in England, but starting to take off in the United States simply because we don't have a Grandpa Rupert. So you might be seeing more in your neighborhood. Thanks a lot for sharing that, Tom. Stephen is with us now in La Crosse. Stephen, hello. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. What's, yeah, what story um, do you want to share, Stephen? Yeah, interesting thing with my family, uh, it's been a tradition, well, I guess since the beginning, since uh, Frederick the Great. Anyway, the my father's name is uh, Frederick William, and my oldest brother's name is uh, William Frederick, and his son's name is Frederick William. Anyway, the <laughs> tradition is the firstborn son in our family is always named Frederick William or William Frederick, and it just kind of hops hops back and forth and it's just a tradition on that side of the family um going back all the way to frederick the great the king of prussia essentially and it's just kind of interesting uh back then that those names would be really common and now those names are less common these days so it's just fascinating i really like this program steven thanks a lot for sharing that. It's interesting flipping flopping the first and middle names now william is is in now laura uh frederick i'm guessing not so much 
Frederick, not so much. That that's a much heavier name, whereas William is a lot smoother. And the other secret that William has going for it is the flexibility in nicknames. We don't aren't seeing boys called Bill anymore. They're Will or Liam. And Liam, in fact, is America's favorite name for boys. Stephen, thanks a lot for sharing that uh, bit of family history there. Bill joins us now in Lake Mills. Bill, hello. Hi. Well, the Williams uh, are kind of humorous because in my family, I am Bill. My uh, father is Bill Sr. I'm Bill Jr. My grandfather uh, was, uh, middle name was William, and my son, uh, we chose William or Bill uh, to have a William the third because it's uh, hard to get a third. Um, and then when I got married, my uh, wife's name uh, would have rhymed with my last name, so I cautioned her that she might not want to choose my name as hers because it would be like olive oil or Daisy Duck. Or, or Daisy Duck. Bill, thanks a lot. Laura, is, I don't know if you study intergenerational trends as much. Is it as common with, as with our last two callers to keep that same name going generation after generation within a family? In fact, it's much less common. Although when you have a long tradition like that, parents still want to stick with it. There's a real distinction having third or fourth or fifth after a name. But the rate of juniors has absolutely plummeted from where it was in the middle of the 20th century. So in the future, we just aren't going to have as many opportunities for those thirds and fourths. Thanks a lot for that call. We're talking to Laura Wattenberg with Namerology.com, looking at naming trends in the United States and taking more of your calls. Uh, Roseanne is with us now in Madison. Roseanne, hello. Hi. I just had a grandniece name her two small babies, London and Sloan, and I didn't want to sound like a really strange aunt asking them where they got those names from. So <laughs> do you know anything about London and Sloan? London and Sloan. So you mentioned, Laura, earlier place names. We're, we're casting wider nets for our place names. So London might fit into that. And uh, Sloan is also a place name in London, but oh. I don't know where those uh, those new babies live. But London is a particularly popular name in the southeastern United States. It used to be that the whole country named more similarly. So like in 1960, Michael and David were essentially the top two names in every state in the union. Today, it, there are a lot more regional differences. So names can really surprise you from place to place. Interesting. Thanks for sharing those, Roseanne. Uh, Anissa is with us in Black Creek. Anissa, hi. Hi. Um, I'm an elder millennial, and I'm actually an identical twin, and I have an older sister, and their names are Allie and Megan. And being born as an Anissa has been, you know, a little bit unique back in the day where you didn't have a whole lot of people with unique names and Although I love it now because whenever I do meet someone with my name, I get very excited. It's like meeting a celebrity. <laughs> uh, naming my own children, I didn't want to do that to them. So I had names that are not like super common, but not necessarily super unique. So, folks, it's not what it's all cracked up to be to not be able to find your name on a mug or a keychain growing up. Anissa, thanks a lot for sharing that. Yeah, Laura, I, I assume people in your comments section on your website talk about whether or not they were happier with their common name or their unique name. Do you see a trend in, in what people end up preferring? The real trend is over the course of a person's lifetime. At the age of 12, none, no one likes the names their parents gave them. <laughs> By the time we're in our 20s, we usually appreciate them. 
but when it comes to the souvenir license plates, next time you go to a, a tourist center and look at the racks of souvenir license plates, you'll find that a lot of them have names that are 50 or 60 years behind the times. They've stopped printing new metal license plates because names <laughs> have become so diverse, it just doesn't pay. Thanks a lot for sharing that. Time for another caller or two. Carver is with us in Winston. Carver, hello. Hi, I was just calling. I thought my name was a little bit unique. I'm one of nine children in my family, um, and my brother's name is Carter, and then my other brother's name is Carlin, and then I have six sisters. But most of the time when people try and uh, say my name, they end up just saying my oldest brother's name Carter. on accident. Yeah. Now, with all those similar names, and somebody yells, hey, Carver, get in here for dinner. Do you, did you always know who was being yelled at with, with the my celebrities? Mo- my, mother would, my mother would run through the names, and <laughs> dinner was served at a particular time, so we all just ran down the stairs or wherever we were. Excellent, Carver. Thanks so much for sharing that. Now, Carver would fit into that uh, active boy trend, right, Laura? Oh, absolutely. Carver is a name on the rise. Parents love the, the surnames that end in ER because it really is – a suggestion of a doer. Most of them come from an old-fashioned trade we might not even see anymore, like a, a thatcher for, who would make thatched roofs. But the, the energy behind the idea of doing that trade still sticks with the name. Carver, thanks for that call. And Laura, we'll leave it there. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Rob. That's Laura Wattenberg, founder of Namerology.com and author of the Baby Name Wizard books. She joined us for for a look at the latest trends in names. You can keep sharing your stories on the Ideas Network Facebook page. Coming up tomorrow on Central Time, we'll talk to the author of the book Untouchable about two different justice systems in the United States. That's tomorrow here on Central Time. It's Central Time. I'm Rob Ferrett. You're with us here on the Ideas Network. Coming up, a health policy expert looks at possible changes to Medicare with a federal budget in the works and questions about future funding for the program. First, a bipartisan group of senators introduced a bill that could make it easier to restrict or ban technology products and social media outlets that come from China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, Venezuela, and Cuba. The social media app TikTok, based in China, has gotten the most attention. The bill could allow the White House to heavily restrict or even ban the short-form video platform here in the U.S. The bill was introduced on Tuesday. Bipartisan co-sponsors include Democratic Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin. The bill called the Restrict Act would work to create a risk-based process so that the U.S. government could control and monitor national security threats. Another bill in Congress backed by Wisconsin Republican Mike Gallagher would flat out ban TikTok from operating in the U.S. I want to hear what you think at 800-642-1234. What do you think about the idea of banning or restricting TikTok in an effort to protect U.S. national security? What do you think about uh, the U.S. using foreign-owned technologies, whether for consumer use in general or at the government level where many states, including Wisconsin, have banned the use of TikTok on official devices? Call in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or email ideas at WPR.org. Steve Knoll is a digital and social media marketing professor at Madison Area Technical College. Steve, welcome back to Central Time. Great. Thanks for having me, Rob. Let's key in on TikTok. Now, the big concern is it's owned by a, a company based in China. We've heard concerns raised that that. Uh, well, that could be bad for the U.S. if the, the program is, if the product's widely used here in the U.S., uh, which it is. What are your thoughts on this idea of TikTok as a potential security threat? 
Well, this has been going on for many years. TikTok is definitely known to have some stuff within the code of the app that people don't really quite understand what it does. Um, TikTok is known as what's called a data scraper. And this is, as much as it sounds kind of scary, all social media basically is looking at personal data to match you up with consumer products. And really that's the main purpose of TikTok is they wanna learn what kind of products you're into so they can show you ads for Chinese made products. Now that into itself, is it not anything to be concerned about? The big question is what else is in TikTok? And especially if it's on a phone that has access to other apps that may be logging into secured resources, is somehow TikTok spying through your phone on other business applications. One of the concerns is the ability to, as you mentioned, scrape data. Uh, if the Chinese government wanted to, theoretically, they could say, yeah, we're not going to use this just <laughs> to sell Chinese products, say, but to collect information on people in the U.S., their comings, their goings, uh, especially if they're government employees. How much of that is specific to TikTok versus, you know, our information is constantly being scraped and sold on the yep. open market? Right. And that's thing is, though, that's the business model of all social media apps. The big question is, you know, a lot of the American um, originated apps like like Facebook and Instagram and even Twitter. It really, we know a lot more about the code and what is actually in the apps. And we really know that, yes, the business model is basically to figure out, do you own a cat? And if so, we're going to put an ad in front of you for cat food. TikTok, however, is there, there's just some stuff in the ad that cybersecurity experts have looked at, and they're just not 100% sure where this data is going. And the massive, massive popularity of TikTok is probably the concerning thing. There have been other apps that have come out that have, are a lot more malicious than TikTok, but their lifespan is maybe only a few weeks or a few months, and then they, they die out of popularity. TikTok, on the other hand, has been one of the number one apps for about five years, especially with users under the age 30. Talking to Steve Knoll from Madison College, looking at efforts to potentially restrict or ban TikTok. A couple different bills in Congress with participation from members of Wisconsin's delegation. You can join in with your thoughts or questions at 800-642-1234. Let's bring on a caller now. Linda Marie is with us in Muskego. Linda Marie, hi. Hi, how are you? Good. What did you want to bring up? I wanted to bring up the fact that isn't it a little too late what kind of damage has already occurred from people's primitive brain because the instant gratification of being on tiktok is so thrilling for most people not for me of course i uh i really watch how i use social media i'm so glad to hear on your program that perhaps they might ban it here Linda Marie, thanks for the call. Uh, Linda Marie pointing, Steve, toward another concern about, I think, a lot of social media, uh, the impact it has, whether or not it's a nefarious intent, the impact it has on users who can get hooked and, and overdo it and, uh, and what it does to our brains, Linda Marie worries about. Well, and, and that's kind of the nature of social media. It, it's designed in a way to actually kind of be psychologically addictive. 
And there have been a lot of studies about, you know, heavy social media users and how when they, you know, have social media taken away from them, they actually experience heroin-like withdrawal symptoms. So something like that can definitely be very concerning. But at the same point, too, you know, if you think about the idea of like, you know, the concept of a couch potato, someone who lies on the couch and watches television for eight to 10 hours a day, are they addicted to television in the same way that some people are addicted to TikTok? The difference there, though, is the couch potato watching TV is in a one way communications model. That person is just watching the television. In the TikTok version, the television is also watching the person. And that's where the concern comes in, is that that circular exchange and what data is actually going out with them. Thanks for the call, Linda Marie, at 800-642-1234. As I mentioned, Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin is a co-sponsor of this Restrict Act. I want to give a listen to a clip of her talking earlier this week when this uh, legislation dropped. While many of these technologies and platforms are popular, especially with our young people, we also know these products have the potential to endanger American users and threaten our entire national security. When it comes to platforms and products owned by foreign adversaries like uh, the CCP, uh, there is next to no transparency for users about where their data is being stored and what the information is being used for. Senator Tammy Baldwin there. And Steve TikTok's USA branch says, well, no, no, no. All the information in the U.S. stays in the U.S. Is there a way that they could establish that that, in fact, is happening, that there could be a middle ground here where uh, TikTok doesn't necessarily have to divest from China, but they could do things to alleviate concerns in the U.S.? Well, they have kind of done that. They've, they've, they have established like an American division. And yes, they have said that, oh, no, all this data that's being recorded and, and archived and all that stuff is, is staying here. But do we really know? You know, and that's what a lot of this um, comes down to. And, and, you know, TikTok right now is being presented as the big bad villain in this story. But the reality is, is this, um, this act that, that Tammy Baldwin and other senators are trying to look at, it's not just TikTok. Right. You know, there's, there's a lot of other apps out there that are infinitely more scary and dangerous than TikTok. But I think TikTok as well, as much as there's some definite legit concerns about it, is definitely being presented as the villain. And I think my concern is that if we do ban TikTok, which I, I don't think is a good idea overall, there will be something else that will be just like TikTok or even worse. And then are people just going to kind of ignore it for a couple years because it's not TikTok? Well, meanwhile, it's scraping all this private information and sending it to, you know, other countries. Russia, for example, is well known for some really nefarious, nasty data scraping apps. And they're not out to sell you products. They're out to steal your identity. And I think that we have to keep this in perspective, that the conversation seems to often revolve around TikTok. But we really need to be talking more about the technology and not just blaming one specific app. 
Talking to Steve Knoll, digital and social media marketing professor at Madison College, looking at the Restrict Act. That's a new Senate bill that would allow the White House to restrict restrict or potentially ban uh, foreign technologies, including, but as Steve was saying, not limited to the social media giant TikTok. You could join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Do you worry about uh, social media apps from uh, uh, rivals or potential rivals around the world and how they could be used if you use TikTok yourself. Does this all worry you? Should it stay or should it go? Call 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. We'll continue the conversation coming up here on Central Time. It's Central Time. I'm Rob Ferret. We're picking up our conversation with Steve Knoll from Madison College looking at a bipartisan bill to restrict some of the use of foreign-owned technologies from selected countries, including Russia and China, giving uh, the White House, in effect, the tools to restrict or ban certain technologies and social media platforms. TikTok, the poster child in some ways, not the only uh, item on the list. You could join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Or email ideas at WPR. Dot org. And as I mentioned, Steve, uh, this is a, a toolkit for the White House to use if this bill is passed. Um, what would you like to see the government do in evaluating an app, a hardware product, a software product coming from one of these countries to say yes or no? Well, I, be, I think the big thing with this is I, I hope these organizations will do a better job talking to each other. You know, technology moves very, very fast and the law moves very, very slow. And one of the big concerns, and I think that this act is going to try to address this, is the ability to better identify the level of danger as new apps are emerging. You know, new apps drop every single day. So it's possible that an app could come out that is, you know, really, really invasive. You know, last year there was a very popular face swap app that turned out to be nothing but a hacker into people's social media accounts that app became super popular it and within about a week everyone had used it and then it had faded away all those people had their identities basically cloned so that's my big concern on that is this stuff comes out and by the time it's even identified as being dangerous it's it's done its job and it's it's off and running so i'm i'm really hoping that that the organizations can really look at this stuff and say, hey, let's talk to each other and get the cybersecurity people. When they identify something, it's got to get to the lawmakers. And we're, we can't wait months and months and have hearings and talks. You know, action needs to happen immediately. And unfortunately, that's not really how government works. So as much as I think this is a really good first step, I'm a bit leery and really saying that this is actually going to make a difference. Let's bring on another caller now. Matthew is with us here in Wisconsin. Matthew, hi. Hello. How you doing? Good. What did you want to bring up, Matthew? Um, I don't think they should be banning social media, even though I don't agree with TikTok or any of that stuff. But we live in a free country. You know, we we should have the right to voice our opinions on whatever platform you would like without government censorship matthew thanks for the call steve uh use at our own risk and, and we have the right to use a platform uh, even if it's from china if we want to well and there that's definitely a valid point and when they talk about banning tiktok 
they're not really talking about personal usage of of TikTok. If if you want to go on TikTok and 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 do whatever you want, yes, you 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 can do that. The the issue is in today's world, a lot of people are using hardware devices like cell phones for both their personal life as well as their business life. And that's where the concern is that if you have a cell phone that you've got an app for your work that you log in with a secure name and an email address and a password that gets into you know sensitive data or private research data that your company works for but you also have the TikTok app on your phone for personal use TikTok can actually get into that app you have for business so that's where the concern is now the easy solution of this is everybody walks around with two cell phones, one for work, one for personal life. But, you know, human beings are not going to go for that idea. And that's the concern here is that our, our personal and professional lives have become so intertwined with each other that technology companies have basically used that idea to, to jump from one, one side of our lives to the other using the same piece of hardware. But going back to banning outright TikTok for personal use, I do disagree with that. But I also think people, consumers do an awful job at knowing how these apps work. Nobody reads the terms of agreement. They scroll through it. They click that box and immediately get to the cat videos. So a lot of this, you know, the responsibility ultimately does fall on the consumer. But the reality is, is the vast majority of consumers do not take the time and effort to properly protect themselves. So that's where the government may step up and say, well, if people are ending up hurting themselves, maybe we need to take action. Therein lies the dilemma that we're talking about. Steve, in just our last uh, 20 seconds, give us one tip for consumers to be a little safer online. Be careful. You know, when in doubt, always assume that whatever you put on your phone is going to be seen, heard, read, looked at by not only a lot of companies and marketing people, but also potentially foreign countries. So just be cognizant of what you post. Nothing is private, nothing disappears, and everything is archived. Steve, we'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us again. Great. Thanks for having me, Rob. That's Steve Knoll, a digital and social media marketing professor at Madison College. He joined us to talk about the Restrict Act. That's a newly introduced Senate bill that could restrict the usage of some foreign-owned technologies, including the social media platform TikTok. Now, police in Wisconsin and around the country are adapting to how they respond to people who are in a mental or behavioral health crisis. That's especially true in schools. As Hope Kerwin reports, a growing number of departments are turning to therapy dogs as a new tool to aid their responses. The newest rookie at the La Crosse Police Department is already patrolling the hallways of Northside Elementary School. He and his partner, Officer Ryan Ledvina, cause an immediate reaction among the students. <laughs> Cheddar is a five-month-old Labradoodle puppy who's in training to be the department's new therapy dog. He has fluffy orange-brown fur and lots of puppy energy. And during a visit to a kindergarten classroom, he is the center of attention. <laughs> 
I am. Oh my God. He's my partner. This positive interaction is exactly what Cheddar is here to do. Unlike patrol canines, police therapy dogs aren't responsible for sniffing out drugs or taking down a fleeing suspect. Cheddar's job will be to help soothe someone who's experiencing a mental health crisis or to comfort the victim of a crime. Sean Coudron is Lacrosse's chief of police. We wanted Cheddar to be able to assist in those situations, um, maybe help bring a, a, a calming nature to the situation so that you know, we as, as, as police officers could better help them. Lacrosse is one of at least eight departments in Wisconsin that added therapy dogs within the last year, and there's science to back up the impact these dogs can have. A study published last year by researchers in England found that elementary students who interacted with a therapy dog had lower stress levels than students who didn't. Oshkosh Police Chief Dean Smith is president of the Wisconsin Chiefs of Police Association. He says many departments are looking for new ways to respond to people who are having a mental or behavioral health emergency. We have to find different ways to solve problems within our communities and using different tools available to us. Um, I, I, I just feel like it's a it's a tool that's going to be more and more prevalent within agencies. For many departments, the dogs are funded primarily through donations. Kudron says Cheddar was donated by a nearby breeder, and a local dog trainer donated obedience and therapy classes. But he thinks any added costs are a worthwhile investment. He's hoping Cheddar will serve as an ambassador for officers, especially with residents who don't feel comfortable approaching the police. It's just another resource for us to share with our community um, and to break down barriers. Uh, when it comes to just interacting with, with anyone to understand who we are as a department. Um, Cheddar kind of helps humanize us as officers. Kudron acknowledged that there's been increased scrutiny of police in recent years. In La Crosse, the school district decided to scale back the number of officers in schools after finding a higher rate of juvenile arrests in the community than in similar cities. Kudron says getting Cheddar was not a direct response to the criticism, but he believes the program highlights the value officers can bring to schools and the community. In Wausau, school resource officer Nick Stetzer has been working with his dog, Badge, for almost six years now. Before he was a police therapy dog, Badge was Stetzer's pet. Stetzer says he put Badge through therapy training after he saw a growing number of kids taken into custody for their protection after making suicidal comments. Stetzer says it was a tough sell to his superiors in the department, but he was convinced a therapy dog could comfort students during a traumatic experience. I don't know what what it is, but talking to me with a dog is way easier than talking to me as a police officer without having the dog. Just as soon as he walks in the room, you can tell people act differently. Stetzer says he's found that kids who are struggling can benefit from spending time with Badge before they reach a crisis point. A game of fetch with a flat-coated retriever might create an opportunity for him to bring up tough questions and find out what resources a student needs. At almost nine years old, Stetzer says Badge is getting close to the typical retirement age for police canines. Hopefully we can make it to 10. He's slowing down a little bit, still doing really good work. But even when Badge hangs up his leash, Stetzer says he's confident there will be support for the therapy dog program for years to come. Hope Kerwin, Wisconsin Public Radio. Coming up after the news, President Biden released his budget proposal today. It includes some changes to Medicare funding. Republicans say they too have a plan to update Medicare and keep it solvent. We'll look at the differences and examine the future of the Medicare system and look at some of the basics of how the different parts of Medicare work who they affect, and their funding models and what they mean for the future of the program. And as always, you can join in with your questions, comments, maybe your experiences with the Medicare system. 
Remember, you can follow these conversations all the time online at WPR.org or with the Wisconsin Public Radio app, stream live, or check out our archives. I'm Rob Ferrett. You're listening to Central Time here on the Ideas Network.